0: This show is sponsored by the Pragmatic Studio. The Pragmatic Studio has been teaching iOS development since November of 2008. They have a four-day hands-on course where you learn all the tools, APIs, and techniques to build iOS apps with confidence and understand how all the pieces fit together. They have two courses coming up. The first one's in July from the 22nd to the 25th in Reston, Virginia, and you can get early registration up through June 21st. You can also sign up for their August course, and that's August 26th through the 29th in Denver, Colorado and you can get early registration through July 26th. If you want a private course for teams of five developers or more, you can also sign up on their website at pragmaticstudio.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 16 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Andrew Madsen. Hi, from Salt Lake City.
1: Pete Hodgson. Hello, from San Francisco, where Bart is not striking, hooray. <laughs> where what is not striking? Bart. Bart. Bay Area Rapid Transit. Oh,
0: Bart uh rod hello from salt lake city and we also have ben sherman
2: hello from houston where it's 180 degrees
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm charles maxwood from devchat.tv and uh, real quickly one of the reasons that i do this show is so that i can get work so if you need back-end work for your iphone application and you're interested in using ruby on rails i am available for hire all right well let's get to the show so this week we were talking about having a discussion on the Apple developer portal when it's working.
3: <laughs> Which is sort of mostly yeah. right now.
2: We'll be back soon. Yep. <laughs> Except not soon. Except soon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> For some definition of soon. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They have a very loose definition of soon, I think. <laughs> So well, do we want to start off by just talking about what happened there? I mean, I don't know if anybody has any, like, behind-the-scenes info on the portal being down. But uh, from what I heard, it was uh, they detected some sort of hack attempt. And then shortly thereafter, uh this, I think he was uh, an Israeli hacker, came out and said, or he was a, I shouldn't say hacker, security researcher, uh came out and said, I... <laughs> I successfully exploited this thing and I told you about it and, uh, filed a radar and I just wanted to see how deep it went. And so he pulled out like, I don't remember how many, how many users contact info from the dev portal. Uh, and he posted a little screencast on like how, like the type of data he got and the level. So I don't know if that they seem to be related because it was like around the exact same time. And I think that's uh,
1: classic that he posted a radar. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Definitely from the Apple community. Yeah.
0: I have to say that, uh, I'm really happy that Apple handled it the way it did. I mean, it, it's inconvenient to have the portal down, but dang it. If my information's in there, especially my credit card information and, and, you know, other things like that, that can affect my company and things like that, pull the plug. Yeah. And then just tell them, we pulled the plug. Yeah, they did it right.
2: The the amount of damage that you could potentially do by having access to the dev portal is relatively small. Like you might Mm -hmm. be able to um, compromise their certificates so that you could sign your own apps for the app store, which seems pretty big, but then they could just revoke it.
1: I'm kind of surprised actually that they haven't done that. Although I guess that would be a serious.
2: Yeah. uh, I think all of your, every iPhone would have to get some major update to the OS. Um,
1: but they in just any re- case, I don't think uh, credit
2: card information or anything like that would have been exposed or even at risk just because they're in different systems. But but yeah, I agree. However, it does sort of remind me of kind of cowboy coding where you're like halfway through version two and that's on the master branch. And then somebody comes in with a, hey, you have this critical vulnerability. And they're like, let's just push through <laughs> version two and hope it gets fixed. <laughs> because it oh, seems yeah. like they're just doing like active development to like say okay screw it we're just going to release this one that's under development instead of like patching the the problem so my away. take
1: on it is slightly different I think what happened is they they got this compromise they got some security consultant in who said you guys have no you know that could have been a root exploit you haven't you can't trust any of these machines you need to start fresh and they went to the sys admins and they said we need new machines and they said we have no idea how these machines are set up. They've, they've accumulated over several years. It's going to take us two weeks to even figure out how to reconfigure reconf- a new data center. And then they spent two weeks running around trying to get a new data center up and running. That's my guess, just, just based on how challenged Apple are on back-end stuff and having seen kind of similar things before where, like, you need to stand up a new environment and no one actually knows how the existing environment works. <laughs> So they need to use Chef is what you're saying. Yes. That's exactly that's exactly I actually I think I tweeted that. I said I, I have a feeling that Apple are not using Chef or Puppet. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. So I, yeah, if anyone's on the inside and wants to confirm or deny these rumors, I would love to I would love to hear about it.
4: Does Chef work with web objects? <laughs> <laughs> Oh
1: man, that's uh that's a that's a quote. <laughs> so uh
2: when it is working, what does it do? Wait,
1: Chef? Or oh, web no,
2: objects.
4: No. <laughs> <laughs> neither, neither. The portal.
0: <laughs> well let's see. I've I've been through the nightmare of setting up certificates and what, a provisioning profile? Does iTunes Connect count as this or is iTunes Connect
1: a separate thing?
3: I, I think that's I think... still online, right? Well, iTunes yeah. Connect is is a separate system. It never went down. So.
1: Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so the portal doesn't mm. do stuff like looking at your the money you're making. No. Yeah, yeah.
3: I know what it doesn't do. I, iTunes Connect is not just for developers either. It's used for I know it's used for iBooks. You know, people, if you have a book in the iBook store, and I don't know for sure about music, but I I would sort of think it's used for music. People who sell music too.
0: So. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, boy, I wish they uh, would give stats on podcasts, in it?
2: Yeah, that's kind of funny they don't, huh? So what they did is uh, release, like, that status page, right? Um, so if you go to developer.apple.com and you sign in, isn't there, um, if you go to the portal, doesn't it tell you, like, what's up and what's down?
0: Yeah, it uh, basically, in fact, I just pulled it up. Uh, the update is from the 5th, which is yesterday. And yeah, it tells you these services are online, blah, blah, blah. We plan to reinstate most of the remaining services this week. And then it tells you what some of those are. And, um, you can go to the status page, but. So yeah. it looks like
2: almost everything is back online now.
0: Yeah. Of course, I keep trying to figure out how to log in because I click on member center usually to log in and that's what takes you to that page. So. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, so why don't we just talk about the, um, the, like the certificates and. Provisioning profiles and that whole process? Sounds good to me. Right. So uh,
1: Does anybody anyone else want understand to tackle how, how that works? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 oh man, I so I've had three or four different iOS projects where each time like we start talking about how to Figure out the certs and the profiles and stuff, and I always find someone else to do it because, like, (laughs) I've just never understood it, and I have this kind of vague, fuzzy idea in my head of how all the pieces plug together. But if you asked me to, if you locked me in a room without the internet and asked me to provision my iPhone, I I would starve to death.
4: (laughs) It has gotten better. I mean, when it It first first came out, it was a nightmare, and now. The portal will kind of guide you through the process.
0: Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. It was worse before? Oh, man. (laughs) It was (laughs) far, far
3: worse. Now, now, my solution is usually to, to have Xcode do it and it doesn't, you know, sometimes something goes wrong and I just delete everything out of Xcode's organizer and then tell it to refresh and, And you know, yeah, exactly. And 80% of the time that fixes the problem. Before that was not even an option because Xcode didn't do anything for Xcode didn't interface with this whole system yeah
2: yeah so you'd have to go to the portal like you could download Xcode and, and run things in the simulator without any kind of profiles or certificates or whatever but as soon as you want to put it onto a device you need to uh, sign the build with a certificate and the um, the provisioning profile links a certificate to a list of devices and some other like permissions are allowed around uh, what that app can do. In um, so an Apple, instance.
4: yeah. App, and an Apple ID. You have to tie the provisioning right. profile ties the certificate and the Apple ID, the app ID. Right.
2: And so, um, so, and then it has a, uh, an expiration date on it. So that's how they can, uh, tell your app you're only valid for three months or whatever, uh, during development or ad hoc builds or whatever. Uh, so once you have all those pieces in place, then you need to go into your project and, uh, go into the settings for your target, your app's target and uh, go into the code signing section, and then there is um, some selection boxes. And you probably want to select the automatic, I forget what it's called, automatic developer, and it will try to pick the, the provisioning profile and certificate that match. And if it can't pick it, usually in that list it will tell you, hey, there's this provisioning profile, but it doesn't match your bundle identifier. Or, hey, there's this provisioning profile, and... I don't have any certificate in the keychain that matches this. So that can help you troubleshoot the issue. But if that item is selectable, then you have the backing certificate for that profile and it matches your bundle identifier, then you select that and uh, then you would build and run on a device and it would use that to code sign the application and run uh, when it all
4: works. But sometimes it doesn't. And you have to create a certificate for development and production as well as a provisioning profile for development and production. Separate ones.
2: So, how does the, um, the wildcard certificate stuff work? Uh, Because I I remember, like, coming to this stuff and doing, like, one sort of dev profile for each developer for each app, and then one, uh, one distribution profile for, um, ad hoc builds, and then one for app store builds. And then somewhere along the line, Xcode came out with the wildcard.
1: I thought the the wildcard was for the bundle identifier. Or is it for bund- like, is it for more than just the bundle, like, how broad the bundle identifier is?
4: Yeah, I think it's when you create the provisioning profile, you, you specify an app ID and you can instead specify a, a wild card. Um, so then you could just use one provisioning profile for all your apps, but that doesn't work if you're using push notifications or iCloud because they have to have a specific app ID. Right.
3: Yeah, but if you're not doing that stuff, you, you, you have a, the wildcard is, is on your, so bundle identifiers are something like com.companyname.appname. And so it would be com.companyname.star. So any app in your company's, that, that has a bundle ID that starts with your company's reverse domain. In my experience, this is not that reliable. Xcode seems to create these for you, at least in some cases. It's a little hard for me to tell because my, mine's all cluttered up with you know stuff from multiple teams and lots and lots of uh projects but i have some bundle identifiers that are just or some some provisioning profiles with uh mat- that match star period so just any bundle identifier and it can be pretty tricky to f- to get convince xcode to select the right one because if you've got two of those then it just selects some random one and it's often the, the wrong thing
0: yeah, I was actually working with a company that uh, they were writing, an uh, I or I don't think they were writing the app. I think they were updating the app to do push notifications for their client, and I was writing the back end portion of that. So I was writing the part that would send the notifications to the, the the phones, and it was really interesting because the developer I was working with, after like the second or third time of him trying to explain to me how to set up a a provisioning profile, so that I could just build and put the app on my phone myself. I had the certificate already installed, so he just sent me the app, and I just copied it into the phone using Xcode. So the the system, to me, is still kind of a black box mystery, sort of hard to use because I don't completely understand how all the pieces go together. Have any of you guys used
1: the uh, like the Nomad tools, the stuff that Cupertino, Cupertino and, and, and Shenzhen?
4: And, yeah.
2: Yeah, I've used them a handful of times. Um, not like it's a whole package, but usually it's just like, uh, individuals one. So like Cupertino is pretty cool. Uh, you can use it to automatically list and add devices to, uh, to your portal. So this is something that Xcode does if you plug it into the list. But if you wanted to do something like, uh, automate the process by automatically adding, you know, your company's devices to a portal or something like that, uh, you could use this tool to do that.
1: I think I've used I've used Shenzhen I've used Cupertino kind of in an attempt to find a better, more understandable UI than the the Xcode and the Developer Center website, and it's I like it because it is a little bit clearer. Like I know that because I get I get really confused as to where I go to find this information because there's like different you know it's some some of it's on the Developer Center some of it's in Xcode some of it's in like the Keychain Assistant so that's kind of nice and i've used i've tried to use Shenzhen, which is this the tool for actually uh signing or it helps you sign your applications and distribute them and I've played around with using that for to, for doing for building and distributing an app in yeah that, CL, that
2: one was so. a little bit too I uh, i wouldn't say opinionated but it had some um it had like some assumptions about how you build your app mm-hmm. and when I first looked at this, it didn't even work with workspaces um and so we had to uh, we had to work around that somehow. So we ended up we st- we use some one called uh, there's one called Beta Builder, which is kind of older and it's not I don't think it's being maintained anymore. But um, we had some minor additions to Beta Builder to uh, build and publish our app to Test TestFlight. Um, but it's in the same vein as Shenzhen, where you could just do a command line build and get an IPA and upload it to somewhere. Mm-hmm. And um, I use that Venice. Stuff is
1: to, which is which one's Venice?
2: Uh, it's verifying uh, in-app purchase receipts. Um, I don't do that from the command line, but this is like the command line is just a thin layer over the venice gem. And um, mm-hmm. actually, when I started using this, um, it was really clean. I like the way it's done. And it it automatically builds in support for uh, checking the uh, production servers first and then checking the sandbox servers for in- your in-app purchase receipts. Uh, this may be a little bit of a uh sort of a... Uh, a sidestep to the conversation, but when you are working with in-app purchases, you have these test mode, in which case you go to the sandbox IAP servers, and so when you actually buy something, it doesn't charge you, right? And then when you're ready to um, to submit your app, you need to flip those things to live, but those things don't get approved until Apple approves your app, and so you have this sort of chicken and the egg scenario where you want to push a live version of the app with live push uh, or with live in-app purchase products. Uh, but you have to wait until Apple approves them first. And so what you end up doing is um, making the app work with sandbox or production receipts. And then you try to verify them with the production server always first. And if you get back a specific error code, then you will then try again with the sandbox servers. And so that way, as soon as you flip the switch, uh, live ones will go straight to production. Uh, and that's a tip that I learned by attending a WWDC session on in-app purchases. But anyway, Venice uh, supports that natively, so you just don't have to worry about it. Um, the one thing it didn't support, uh, which I ended up adding, was support for um, the auto-renewable subscriptions, which require a shared secret with iTunes. Uh, and so that's a, uh, it was a simple addition to make. And so that's the one I use.
0: So, Rod, I'm a little curious. How does all this stuff with the provisioning and certificates work with RubyMotion?
4: I think it's pretty much the same. I haven't actually done it with RubyMotion yet, I haven't gotten that far. You pretty much have to go through the same process and I, and you probably have to put it in the rake file for the RubyMotion project. Actually, I did do it once. Yeah, it's kind of a pain. You have to paste in that whole, that name of the provisioning profile, which is, you know, hexadecimal name. So it's kind of a pain. So something like Cupertino and Shenzhen might come useful in that situation since you're on the command line anyway.
1: Yeah, because presumably RubyMotion just produces an IPA and then you just need to
0: sign it with the appropriate... Mm-hmm things. Yep. So what what else is in the portal? I mean, we've talked about certificates and provisioning. There are a lot of other things in there, aren't there, that we can talk about.
2: You have to manage the device list pretty carefully. It's kind of like a, uh, you know, a plant. You have to like prune it from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> make sure you don't go make it get too big. Because uh, you only get what a uh, hundred devices, is that right? Yeah, a hundred. Uh, so you get a hundred devices, and it seems like a lot if you're like an individual. But if you do pr- projects for clients, we, you know, at at Chaiwan, we ran out of uh, space really quickly by doing client work, and eventually we just got to the point where we had to say make a rule to say, okay, our clients are going to provide their own account from day one, uh, so we don't get into this mess where the client may have five of their own people that they want to have on there on the app and we have 20 employees or whatever we had at the time. And it just gets really, uh, really old, really fast with all the test devices and things that you want to add. It's unfortunate for like established development shops to not be able to get, you know, to request access for more or whatever. But, and then the worst part about it is when you delete a device, you have to wait like until your renewal period for that slot to become available again. So you have to be careful, you know, once you invite people if they're no longer beta testing your app or if those are no longer clients of yours or whatever, then go in and remove them as soon as possible uh, so that you can free up those slots for the next renewal period.
1: And how often does that renewal happen? I think it used once to be like year. once a year, right? Once a year. year. <clears <Yep>. <clears throat> throat> but I think you can request a more frequent renewal if you have a good reason. I, I um, So Ben, if you think it's tough uh, being a dev shop, imagine being a really, really large... Organization like thousands of developers, organization and tr- and having to technically having to share one, um, <laughs> one organization. Well, so if you have
2: if you have more than a couple hundred employees, then you could qualify for the enterprise account, right? In which case, you have an unlimited device list.
1: Is that recent
2: that they've done that, or is that has that been there for a while? No, it's, it's been there since I've been in this uh, industry. Like as far okay. as I know, they've had enterprise development, but you had to have like I think like 200 employee minimum or something like that.
1: So uh, I was, for, work, well, I was working that. for a, a big old bank, and they had a device list that was uh, that they had to manage. So I don't think they definitely. I definitely learned about renewal periods while I was there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe they just didn't know that they were able to do that.
2: I've only had limited experience with the whole uh, enterprise distribution model because you don't have a specific oh, I device see what list, you're right? So
1: yeah 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 I see what you're saying when you're if you're doing enterprise distribution yeah so if you wanted to
2: build an app and distribute yep. it to your own internal company as long as everybody's still covered by the nDA you have to be careful about that like uh, some of these larger companies have like sub companies and and so they'll have like a an internal development organization that builds apps for the business and uh people in the business quote unquote the business units that are, are paying for this. It's kind of weird to talk about it like this because it's all the same company, but it's like interdepartmental budgets and they they have a budget for an app and they contract with their internal team to build it. Uh, you have to be careful about not giving like pre-release software to folks even within your own company if they're not covered by an NDA. Uh, so one of the problems that we're facing right now, a lot of companies are, is that iOS 7 is coming out very, very soon and we'd like to start doing all of our apps iOS 7 only, Um, if possible, but how do you do beta testing when your clients may not be covered by the NDA? Hmm. So you have to, you have to be careful there because then they would have to install iOS 7
4: on their phone in order to test it.
0: That, that's an interesting problem. I hadn't thought of that. Do your
4: clients push back on having to have their own developer account? No, we just,
2: we just write it into our, our contract. Like day one, you got to do this because we've seen it take a long time. One of our clients. Accidentally started out with the enterprise one and had to contact Apple to get them to undo it, and we didn't really see it as a red flag until we were like two weeks into the project and they still hadn't been approved yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then they started that process. So it was over a month before we had a, a a developer account for them. And so you know that's because that's a risk to the project. We want to make sure that we can start off immediately, like day one, go here, sign up for this. Get you know we'll advise them on which one to get. Um, uh, but it's, yeah, it's written into the timeline.
4: But they accept, they accept that. Yep. Yeah. Not, not a single client. And that, if they sign up, then they're under the NDA, aren't they?
2: Yeah. But I mean, it depends. Like, if you, if you are part of a larger company and you, and you right. sign up for it, not the entire company is under the NDA because. Right. I, I don't know exactly how that works. You just have to be careful. Uh, like I was saying, like, for a larger organization, the internal development team is definitely covered by the NDA, but. The, uh, the, the business at large is not.
0: Yeah. So l- let's talk a little bit about the NDA for a minute. So when you sign up for a developer account, you agree to an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement that says that you won't talk about, uh, certain aspects of what Apple provides to you in your developer account. In other words, you can't show off beta software. You can't uh, talk about certain uh, aspects or certain features of that software. Are there other areas that you're restricted from? I think just beta
2: software and and the SDKs and stuff that are still not finished. Um, and re- typically the line that people draw on the sand is whatever is announced at WWDC during the keynote is streamed to the world and so is therefore public. And then everything that happens th- that week of WWDC um, after the keynote is, is uh, covered under the NDA. And they remind you that every step of the way. So if you tweet about it you know, chances are somebody's going to see it and then you'll get put on a list somewhere and uh, who knows what will happen, but you probably don't want to be on that list. And then when iOS 7 gets released or whatever the version is um, to the public, then at that point you, you've you had this knowledge for all this time, you've had time to play with it, but you haven't had a chance to talk about it. So, you know, you'll expect all kinds of books and conference talks and articles and all kinds of material will come out at that time, but during in between this in between period is just kind of a, a bit awkward because we want to start switching to the new stuff, but we can't really talk about it
0: yeah now, if I remember right, there are also videos and things from w w d c that you can watch on here,
2: right, but you have to be a developer to get access to those so again, by signing up for the developer account you've
0: you've signed the n d a right and then you can see the conference videos and what have you-
3: uh-huh. right. You don't need a paid account to access the videos anymore, right? You used to need a paid account. Well, you used to not be able to get the videos without paying extra, but I think last year they made it so anyone with a free account could watch the videos. Is that right?
0: The only free developer account is the Safari developer account, if I remember. (laughs) No,
3: No, that's not true. You can can sign up for a login to the developer website without paying. You just won't get the stuff you get when you pay, which is like Ability to run, oh, ability to do provisioning and run your apps on device, that kind of thing. But just to get yeah, access makes to the sense. documentation. And right,
1: because if you're, you know, if you're, uh, just getting started with iOS development, you can, you can write iOS apps or Mac development. You can write Mac apps or iOS apps and compile them and play with them. You just can't release them in the App Store. So you need to be able to read the docs in order to do that, I suppose. And the docs are hidden behind the developer, uh, firewall because, uh, because of the NDA
4: thing. Gotcha. Aren't there student accounts too? Probably. <laughs> I, I
1: don't I don't know. Do, do you guys know of any other development or any other software organization that does the NDA thing like like Apple does? It seems seems like it's quite unique to the Apple philosophy. Um, I don't know. I mean when I was in the Microsoft community, I went to the MVP
2: summit a couple of times and they were in a similar vein, okay. like you're not supposed to talk about this stuff.
0: Okay. Yeah, and I I was listening to uh one of the Twitch shows, I don't remember which one, This Week in Tech, and Leo Laporte went to an event for Google and basically said that there were certain parts of it that he could talk about and certain parts of it that he had to sign an NDA in order to see. So, um, I, I think it just depends on how strategic they're trying to be with it, but it seems like Apple is that way more than most of the other organizations.
2: Yeah, with, you know, the Microsoft MVP community was, I don't remember, like 5,000 developers or something. It was like a, a select group of people. So it's a much smaller thing. It's easier to keep the lid on that size than every Apple developer. Cause I don't know how many registered Apple developers there are, but there's a whole bunch. Yep.
3: They've, they've said how many registered developers there are. I think how many paid developers there are. And it's a huge number, half a million or more. Yeah. It's, it's pretty giant. Yep.
0: So, uh, it, it looks like there's also a whole bunch of information. You, you talked about iTunes Connect and there's, an App Store Resource Center. Is this how you submit your apps to the App Store? Is through the Developer Portal?
3: You you actually s- submit your app. Well, most people probably just submit their apps through uh, through Xcode, but it's um, that's actually something that's in iTunes Connect.
2: Yeah, the only thing that the portal does is it give you access to, to generate a distribution certificate for that bundle identifier. Uh, you configure the services that you want uh, in a App Store configuration or App Store provisioning profile. Uh, so, like, if you want to talk to Game Center or in-app you know, purchases or um, iCloud, then you'll need to check those boxes and configure those certificates as well. Uh, and then once you have that, then basically the portal is out of the question. You just have a distribution build. And to submit it, you would then go to iTunes Connect, and iTunes Connect has a bunch of forms for you to fill out on what's, what's the app name and the icon and the artwork and keywords, all the information, like... Privacy policy URL, support URL, email addresses. I'm trying to think of others. The screenshots, and then once you have all that stuff in there, you say ready to upload binary in iTunes Connect. So this is something that, you know, a savvy like client or business owner could potentially do if they were familiar with the process. Uh, and then you could be the guy with Xcode who, who just says, okay, I'm ready to submit, and you would go into the product menu and say archive. And tell it that you want your app store build configuration, and at that point it will look in the portal to see which uh, apps in iTunes Connect uh, are ready for binaries, and so it will match up the version name, and then you can submit it from there. But that just still doesn't that still require you to log in using uh, uh, somebody with permission to submit applications. So it's
3: yes, but that's actually that actually I think is a function of an iTunes Connect user as well.
0: So let's talk about iTunes Connect for a minute. I, I think we've pretty well covered what the developer portal, you know, gives you, unless I miss something.
2: Yeah, I, I think we covered it. I mean, it's just devices,
4: certificates, identifiers, profiles. Beta software. There are, there are ad hoc builds. We were, I don't think we talked about that, but yeah. if that's just a different provisioning profile. And then you can distribute it for beta testing. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So iTunes Connect does all your sales reports, like the submission process we just talked about. So like screenshots and keywords and all that stuff, like whatever shows up in the store. And then you'll download your sales reports, uh, from iTunes Connect as well. And this would be the same if you were like a, like a musician and you were selling music on iTunes.
3: You also, uh, manage all of the information Apple needs from you to, to sell your apps. So contracts you have with them, tax information, the bank account that they deposit your money in, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: And every time you log in, there's something new that you have to agree. With. <laughs> yeah, I, I just did that actually.
3: Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, that's been unavailable, hasn't it, because of the the outage?
2: Yeah, I, you know, I haven't had to go in for this yeah. whole period. hasn't really affected me too much, so I've been lucky. But so anyway, yeah, when I just logged in, it asked me.
4: On the
1: it's listed yeah. on that status page, so I guess maybe it, maybe it was always up, and they wanted to put something green straight away. <laughs> yeah. Quickly. So,
0: are there are there marketing resources? It, it it makes it look like it. I haven't actually ever signed into iTunes Connect. Are there marketing resources for your apps or anything like that?
1: It's mainly analytics and stuff around sales, and 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 all of that contracting and all that stuff. Uh, do, Contracts do, and
0: bank information. Do these uh, reports include free apps?
3: Yeah. Yes you don't get any money for them but you can see how how many people downloaded your app
1: and you can also i think it's in iTunes connect you kind of manage like you kind of can check on where your app is in the review process and and kind of if you if you're releasing a new version of the someone correct me if i'm wrong here but if you're releasing a new version of your app you can kind of see you you submit the new version but the the old version is what's currently on the app store and then you can kind of When you submit the app, you say, release it as soon as it's ready, or you can kind of say, do the review now, but don't release it until I'm ready. And then you, I think iTunes Connect is where you go in there and kind of pull a trigger, as it were, and and say, I want to release the new version now.
4: In the Developer Center, there are resources such as the images for the buttons that say available in the App Store that you can put on your website, as well as images of devices that you can use to, to create images.
1: Yeah, I just found that, and that's, that's hilarious. I've been looking for those images for, for so long. <laughs> whenever I do like a um, a, a talk, I always... Well, not whenever I do a talk, but when I'm making a slide deck, quite often I want an iPhone image. But then I read the... Of course, I read the contract, and it says you're only allowed to use it for marketing your application. and If I did yeah. it in any other way, I would be put on the list.
2: <laughs> yeah, don't get on the list. <laughs>
1: but yeah, I, so the, the main... Interaction that I've had with the with iTunes Connect. The two main interactions is is looking at the, the depressing graph that shows me that no one's downloading my application, <laughs> and uh, and then <laughs> and then reading reading the the reason why my
0: application was rejected
1: from the App Store.
0: <laughs> That's really is like most of my time I spend. Are they pretty good about telling you what it is about your app that they don't like?
4: Yeah. Well, well in my experience, they have been. Sometimes they're very vague and especially yeah. when they reject you. I always reject my, my app, uh, favors, which was a pace, passbook app, um, was rejected and in getting information about, out of them about, it's almost like it, they can't talk about it. They can't tell you the real reason. <laughs> you kind of have to, you kind of have to read between the lines.
1: I think it kind of depends on the context right so if so if for example I have a, a Mac app which I tried to update to to do the sandboxing thing and uh, I didn't do it right and they just rejected it and said it doesn't doesn't conform to the the sandboxing requirements and and that's kind of fairly clear but if your app is using an internal API for example and they detect that I think they're a little bit kind of vague about it because they don't want to tell you I don't know why, actually, but I think it's. I guess. I guess the. I can kind of see the motivation being they don't want to tell you like what you've been trying to do in case everyone learns that like there's this thing that they're checking for or something. I don't know.
4: Yeah, it's like they're still trying to make up their mind. Like in my case, they didn't like the way I was using coupons. They didn't think the way I used coupons was the way they wanted coupons to be treated. Mm -hmm. And so it's like it's still in motion, and they don't want to pin it down. You know. Interesting.
0: They don't want to set a legal precedent on iTunes. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I kind
1: of think it is like that because, I mean, you could take this stuff and write a blog post about it, right? So they don't want it to be... They don't want to go on the record with this stuff. I think maybe it's because there must be an army of these guys or these (laughs) folks doing these reviews, and maybe they don't want to get in trouble with their supervisor for saying something that's not correct. Yeah.
0: Now, now I am a little bit curious. I've heard a few things about why they reject apps or some of the things they reject apps for. Maybe you can verify some of these for me. One of the ones that... (laughs) was a little bit strange that I heard is that if you build the app and you allow on a phone, not on an iPad, just on the phone, if you allow the upside down orientation that they will reject it. Yes, it can. I don't
2: I don't think that they will, but uh there should be a reason why you use the upside down orientation. And I agree with this actually. I think it's really uh sort of sort of uh disorienting to be using a phone like say in bed or whatever and I turn it the upside down orientation and the whole interface flips up. And so now I expect the home button to be at the bottom and it's not there anymore. And to me, like, I don't think that that should be allowed, uh, unless there's a reason why your app should rotate to that way. And if so, then you could use it. But, um, that wasn't always a rule that came out actually after I'm trying to remember when
4: that came out, actually. Mm -hmm. Xcode Uh, still supports it. I mean, you can, Set yeah. that orientation.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can set it. I just think that there needs to be a reason why you set it. And I don't I don't know any like high-profile rejections for that specific setting.
0: <laughs> yeah, the other one I've heard is uh, for performance reasons, if it's too slow or if the graphics aren't high enough quality, I've heard that one too.
2: I mean, if it looks... I don't know. The problem is, is there's so many examples of really terrible-looking apps on the store, <laughs> yeah. so they
4: clearly don't follow those rules to a T. Well, if your app, when it starts up, if it doesn't start up within... What is it a minute? I think it automatically. I think it's like 20 seconds. And they'd probably reject you for that if they couldn't even start. Yeah,
2: they will definitely reject you if your app crashes on startup. Yeah. I think it's an unofficial, like, or undocumented time frame, but I think it's 20 seconds. So, like, if you don't return quickly from the application did finish launching method, uh, like, some people will end up going to download things on the main thread, not realizing that they're, Mm -hmm. uh, Delaying their application from launching until that's completed, uh, and so the watchdog process will actually kill it if that's if you're on a slow network connection or if that file ends up getting too big or whatever. Uh, we got rejected one time. We wanted to do a uh, an app for a client. We they basically it was like World Cup was starting in like two weeks or something like that, and they're like, okay, we want to build this app for the World Cup, and I was like, uh, it's too late. <laughs> Uh, so they're like, okay, well, what can we do? And so we, we sort of brainstormed and we were like, okay, we can do this sort of interactive Twitter thing, like on a team basis. And it would just like show you the, um, the tweets for that particular flag. And then it would like, we'd be able to knock out the flags that were out of the tournament. And, uh, so that was easy enough. And so we built it in a weekend and submitted it and we called it world cup chatter. And, uh, that got rejected, uh, because of the term world cup is registered trademark of fifa and we're like oh man (laughs) you know like how do we describe the app now you know like maybe we should have called it world soccer chatter or something like that that would have been a better choice than what we did choose which is just shorten it to wc chatter which i found out later for our british friends that wc is typically referred to as the water closet (laughs) 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 that's a totally different app and uh that was a, <laughs> a funny mistake, but anyway, Which, the app got approved with that, and it went in the store. But only shortly after the World
3: Cup had started.
0: Yeah. What one other thing that I want to ask is, can you push apps out for specific markets, like the U.S. App Store versus worldwide App Store, and yes. for certain? The the other one is, does iTunes manage whether or not an app can be installed on a particular device? So, for example, I have an iPad One; it only runs iOS 5 it doesn't run iOS 6 so it doesn't run certain apps so does iTunes check for that or do i have to tell it that it'll yeah, only run on iOS you've got the
2: version requirements per app so it won't even show up in the store for an app like a you, you won't be able to search for an app that's iOS 6 only on okay. your iPad 1 but if you support I, if iOS 5.0 but you specifically don't want the iPad 1 there's no way to do that okay uh, I think that there's a way to specify uh, requirements of your app. Like you could say my app requires telephony, in which case it would omit both iPads and iPod Touches. And there's some other ones, like uh, this requires uh, real GPS or whatever.
3: There, yeah, there's actually a, f- you know, a fairly long list of those hardware capabilities that you can say you require. And but so I think
1: that unless you actually require them, then you can get rejected for right. not wanting to be in... Like if, you, if you're gaming it to just not because you don't want your app to be an iPad app, then they can reject you because you you don't actually need telephony.
3: Right. I We actually had this problem with an app that I worked on last year where we, for performance reasons, did not want to let it run on the original iPad or on the iPhone 4. And there's no way for us to say that, right? Because you can support a version of the OS, a minimum version of the OS, but this was at during iOS 5, and those both supported iOS 5. So we thought about requiring Bluetooth 4.0, which would exclude the iPhone 4 and the iPad 1, which you can do, but we didn't actually use Bluetooth 4.0, and that was pretty clear. So we ended up just having to basically put a disclaimer in, in the App Store listing that said, this app may not run great on an iPad 1 kind of thing. Uh, you, you'll actually notice, though, that Apple does not have that same restriction on their own apps. So they have apps that require certain, you know, like the new phone comes out and they might have an app that only runs on that phone so they don't have to follow their own rules Yeah, when you make the playground I
2: guess you get to do that Yep.
1: I think the most common uh, well, I don't know, maybe not the most common but in my experience one of the most common reasons for rejection was accidentally using an internal API We did that um, one time Whoops yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> We uh, We found out about it right away and luckily we keep our data pretty up to date in our staging system but uh, we ended up having to do a DNS switch to uh, say, okay, staging is no longer staging.
3: <laughs>
2: it's now production. And we kind of came up with a new name for staging and, yeah. Once we got the update and we were able to check who's using that older version, eventually we were able to say, okay, we can switch to the new one. But uh, but there was that uh, sort of short period of time, that window of like a couple of hours, when somebody went and created an account in staging and we had to migrate it over to production. Uh, so that was not fun. So what we ended up doing as a result of that is just making it part of our scripts that it's impossible to create an App Store build this point into staging. And that used to be a manual checkbox that we'd check. And eventually those things, after like a year of regular deployments, eventually somebody forgets to check that when they do a deployment. And things like that happen. So you got to sort of account for human error and make it a non issue by scripting.
1: I guess you could use, um, you could use DNS some, uh, maybe you could They'd set up you could set up firewalls or some do some clever networking thing so you can only hit staging from your internal network and then presumably the review when you put it in for review someone would notice i mean that would be an interesting experiment right is uh, so actually I did an interesting I did a facebook app and um, in order to to use the application you had to log in and with Facebook you can tell when people Log in to use your application because you you know you're using the Facebook um, APIs. So I could actually see when the reviewer was logging in, <laughs> which was kind of cool. So I knew I knew that that it was actually being the app was actually being reviewed because uh, because there was only one person using the app because it hadn't been released in the App Store yet.
0: All right. Well, is there anything else that we want to cover related to the online portals?
2: I think that's it. It's kind of a <laughs> Uh, sort of a dry topic, but once you've sort of learned the magic incantations of like this provisioning process, uh, then you proceed on with your app and you do development, and then you forget it all. So yeah. the more Xcode
4: helps out with this stuff, the better. And then you have to figure it out again when you have to do it again. Yeah.
3: Yeah. This this whole this whole provisioning and certificates thing is really every iOS developer's least favorite thing. It's not. Yeah. Try yeah. To I feel like there's a time. business
1: there. I think that maybe someone could start a business as a uh, provisioning consultant. What a horrible, horrible existence.
2: (laughs) 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 Oh, man. It's like choosing to be, like, the bathroom cleaner.
1: (laughs) I I mean, you could charge, like, thousands of dollars an hour, maybe. Maybe not.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Do you guys remember... in your ad hoc builds you would have to add an entitlements.plist and then inside the entitlements.plist you'd have to add a key called get-task-allow and uncheck it and then save (laughs) that. (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't remember, I remember looking into it to see what the heck does that even mean and I think it was something related to like can processes debug themselves or can you attach a process to debug it or something like that. I don't even remember, but uh, but I remember thinking, oh, that was just one of the items in my mental checklist. Did you add the entitlements it Does it have get task allow? Is it unchecked? Is it plugged in?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's no longer needed, by the way, for those listening and trying to follow along.
4: Yeah, I was just thinking, like, wait, what? <laughs> do you have to use entitlements at all anymore, or what is that for?
2: I think you do if you use like Game Center, or iCloud, right?
4: Yeah, all sandboxing. But it, it creates all that stuff okay. for you, though.
2: I don't think you have to ever touch it.
3: Sand- sandboxing on the Mac. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's
1: yeah. what my current application got rejected right. for just, just recently. It was I, I didn't do the enticements right, but I have no idea. So after saying that the rejection things are clear, the rejection notice for this was just, like, basically copying and pasting the rules around sandboxing. Yeah, they do and that I'm lot. like, okay, I don't understand it, <laughs> clearly... <laughs> retelling me an example. So one, one other thing you,
2: gonna... maybe we should point out is that there's the, um, the TSIs, the technical support incidents. So if you have something like, like that where you, you need uh. somebody to take a look at it, uh, you can use them for technical issues, but also for, uh, design reviews. And I believe like app store review like issues that you're having. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get two per year and I always forget to use them. So I'm always trying to find new ways of like, should I, should I spend one on this thing and, uh, sometimes they're pretty helpful.
3: Maybe I'll do that. Yeah, I've been a I've been a Mac developer for 8 years and I have never once used one of those <laughs> tech support incidents. I, I I really
4: ought to. iCloud yeah. would probably be a good use
2: for it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is if this is related to client work,
4: I can,
2: you know, there's no reason why I couldn't use the client's TSI for that. So then like my personal one or my company's, you know, those are those always go unused. So it seems like we always have one we can pull from.
1: And you can also pay for those, right? Like I think so, um, yeah. So yeah, I, you I can. suspect, I suspect your the average client would be okay with you billing that rather than billing them for two hours of beating your head against a keyboard.
3: Yeah, and with a lot of the kinds of problems you might ask about, there even two hours is not going to get you anywhere. Right.
0: All right, let's go ahead and wrap this show up. Thanks for coming, everybody. Let's let's do the picks. Rod, why don't you start us off?
4: Alright, my pick is going to be iOS Font Awesome. So the same font icons that you, that are in, uh, Bootstrap, you can also use in your iOS app. And so you can, you have, you can use fonts that have icons that will, um, size to whatever size you need. And there I have a, I have a link to an article that shows you how to do that. And that's my pick.
0: Alright. Cool. Uh, Andrew, what are your picks?
3: Uh, so my pick, my pick for this week is when to use retaincount.com. <laughs> um, if you any time,
4: if
3: you've spent any time on Stack Overflow in the in the, the Objective C tags, you'll you'll have seen this before. But it's a it's a good explanation of when you should and should not use the retain count method. That's awesome.
2: Here's a short and mildly abusive explanation why.
4: Was that the one where they were using key value observing? to Yeah, find... it was hilarious.
3: <laughs> <laughs> they were they were they were doing key value observing on retain count to find out when an object was. Deallocated. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And this guy had like nine thousand reputation. He had like the same reputation on Stack Overflow I do, and it was all in the iOS and Objective C tags, which makes you realize that that reputation's not worth very much. It's just a popularity contest, guys.
4: Or <laughs> someone has the most free time on their hand. <laughs> right. <Yep. laughs> yeah, that's true.
2: Yep. <laughs> most of my rep is still from .NET, which I haven't answered in over three years. Any questions?
3: Yeah, it's it's really it's you can get reputation without knowing anything as long as you hang out all day and try to answer questions first, even with a kind of terrible answer, because somebody will come along and give you a point. (laughs) Because they're they don't know any better, you know. They don't know your answer's terrible.
1: That's my new business model. Stack overflow consultant. (laughs) (laughs) How to how to game the Stack Overflow system. Oh, there you go. Write me book. Uh oh, yeah. what are your picks? Today I have a few picks. Uh I think I have established a pretty solid tradition of doing self-promotion as part of my picks, so I'm going to continue that uh that hollow tradition. Uh my first pick is uh the conf- a conference called Strange Loop. It's sold out, but the reason I'm picking it is cuz I'm doing a workshop there on uh iOS unit testing. And I'm going to be doing a free version of the workshop in San Francisco, a couple of them actually, in August. Uh, or end of August, beginning of September. Um, so if you want to learn about iOS unit testing and you are in the San Francisco Bay Area, then get in contact with me via Twitter or some other means, and uh, I'll, I'll give you more details on that. My second pick is a tool from GitHub called Boxen. So last night I received from my uh from work a brand new laptop which was quite exciting it had that wonderful um new mac smell and um i promptly started using this tool called boxen to set it up so boxen is um is this kind of way to script setting up a new developer machine so and it does loads and loads of stuff for you it uses puppet under the hood um but it can do stuff like install software set up keyboard shortcuts or set up like uh, whether the dock is hidden or not, like all the kind of stuff that when you start using a new machine, you kind of spend like two or three days kind of futz or two or three months maybe futzing around getting it set up just so. Uh, Boxen will do all that for you in an automated way. So it's pretty cool. Fun technology to, to play with. Definitely. My third pick is a tool called Homebrew. So Boxen uses Homebrew under the covers to, to install a lot of its, um, a lot of the software so if you haven't used homebrew you should definitely check it out i think maybe someone else has probably picked it already but i'll pick it uh and then my final pick is a rival podcast because it's it's all about uh, it's a competition this podcasting business called the changelog and they just posted the, the newest episode uh, which is an interview with matt Thompson talking about his stuff. I actually don't know what it's about because it literally just got released like as we were recording this podcast, but I know Matt Thompson's an interesting guy and he's an iOS person. So, um, And The Changelog is a really, really good show. It's, um covers what's uh, fresh and new in open source and uh, they've been going for a long time and they deserve some love. So there you go, Changelog. And that's it. Awesome. Ben, did we hear your picks?
4: No.
2: <laughs> Can we? Sure. My first pick is App Resigner and app resigner is a it's a free little app that will um strip out the provisioning profile that an app was signed with and allow you to resign it with your own this was super handy one time when a client came to us whose developer had taken all the code and, and ran basically and, and then his ad hoc build expired and he wanted us to recreate the same app and so i was able to use app resigner to resign it so that we could use it on our apps or on our phones um The only other way you can do that is by uh, jailbreaking your phone, which is uh, a choice that you might make. But um, in this case, App Resigner was pretty awesome. My next pick is the iPhone configuration utility, which is pretty handy when you want to like plug in somebody else's phone and install a provisioning profile or an ad hoc app or whatever without going through iTunes it'll also let you access the uh, the console logs. So if somebody just experienced a bug and you you know it's in the logs, you can just plug in their phone and, and do it. Some of that ability is available within um, Xcode, but if you need to do this remotely, then you can have somebody download this little tool. And so that's at this link. You'll have to scroll down to the bottom of that Enterprise link to find it for um, OS X and Windows. And then my last pick is going to be uh, Review Times. Um, it's an App Store Review Times service. It scrapes Twitter for specially formatted tweets saying my iOS app time uh, was re- approved in, I don't know, like three days or five days or whatever it is. And it and it aggregates and graphs those values over time. So you'll see, like right now, the, the average review time for an app, iOS app is five days and uh, same for Mac App Store. But it shows you like the rolling 30-day trend and like uh, some of, some of these, like when the Mac App Store first came out, you were looking at like a 30 30- to 40-day wait time. And so it was good to see that trend go downward.
0: Kind of like the time it takes for WWDC to sell out. It goes downward. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah, sometimes it goes up,
0: though. Uh,
3: Last year, there was a a period there where, I don't know, I don't remember, iOS times were really high, too, but Mac App Store times were a month, one month.
2: Yeah. Wow. Which is
3: pretty pretty boring. I don't know, I mean,
2: if they get they get uh, backed up doing other things or maybe reviews need to be more scrutinous or whatever. But, uh, you know, we're trying to plan timelines with clients. It's really difficult to lock down dates. And so we usually tell people, okay, uh, you know, you need to plan on it like two weeks. It's a pretty healthy estimate. But if you get a rejection, that doesn't give you much time to address it. So, I, I, you know, I would never go to this and say, oh, it'll take five days because your app might be different. But uh, But this gives you an idea of what you, you can say with some amount of confidence.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and give out some picks. First off, I was uh, fighting an issue on one of my servers, and uh, so I tweeted that I was having this problem, and I got some help from a fellow named Brian Stevens. He is bd Stevens on Twitter, and you can find him at dataporters.com. This is kind of a thank you and a pick um, because he was super helpful in, in getting that little issue figured out. Another pick that I have, I've been putting together this Rails ramp-up course, and I've been hosting it using Instructure's Canvas. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. They released an open-source version, and that's what I've been using. And then to post the videos, I've been posting them on Wistia. That's W-I-S-T-I-A dot com. And uh, it has been awesome for posting and uh, plugging in videos. Um, they have a whole bunch of other features. Uh, they have social sharing. You can also put in like uh, a call to action. So you can say, hey, sign up for my email list or whatever. Um, anyway, it's it's terrific. So I, I've really been liking it. I'm probably going to move a lot of my video hosting over to it. So uh, Wistia is uh, my pick there. And uh, that's that's pretty much it. Thanks again for coming, guys. We'll wrap this show up. We'll catch you all in a week.